Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Okay, and welcome to episode 278 of the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Paul, how have you been, mate? It's been a hot minute since we've talked. I've <laughs> been busy, but well. Uh, yeah, and it's summertime, so I imagine that's a popular refrain for most people, right? <laughs> so, I, and, and you went back to the well, the motherland. I mean, I've not been back in well, it's not my, eight years myself. It's not but. my motherland, but it is the the home office. <laughs> yeah, the office. Yeah, yeah. So um, between the Memorial Day holiday and then uh, we went off to, I went back to the office. The wife came with, and she kind of hung out and did whatever while I worked, and uh, we had a good time. It was nice. It was good. Tea with the queen. You know, it was the week after the Jubilee. And oh, that's right. She went to Westminster and all the barricades are still up. That was one of the, because normally she'll hang out at the Abbey and just walk around and couldn't do much because the barricades are everywhere, which is a little sad. But what they told her is, someone told her, well, they spent so much money setting it up. They ran out. They couldn't take it down. <laughs> <laughs> that would make yeah. sense. So how you been? Yeah, really good. It's... um. It, we've had a heavy planning season getting ready for the next semester, which starts in July and ends in December. And um, it, it's complex for us in the graph because obviously being that horizontal team, we whatever we decide to do, we want to share with all the un- underlying engineering teams we work with and validate that they agree it's the right things we should be doing. And so there's a lot of review process even before we get to our CVP, Perry, Clark to present, this is what we're going to be doing as a group. And so it's been amazing the last few years, just the size of Una's team growing and improving that process of writing six pages and defining objective key results and stuff. And uh, I, I, I think all of us felt really kind of confident that we we cracked it this time around, which was really, really cool. So yeah, it's been fun. Excellent. Excellent. Well done. Well done. Well, and thanks for uh, getting a, a show or two uh, while I was busy. So uh, we can hop into the news, which uh, <coughs> we've, our listeners, we have filtered because some of it is not new anymore. <laughs> it's been so long, but uh, I mean, Sony, some of this is only two weeks old. No, so but I had, some, I had some in my file that were, you know, from pre-build. So it's like, oh, that, yeah, that's <laughs> not new anymore. <laughs> Anyways, um, SharePoint Framework V1.15. So I, I know that you probably don't work with it as much anymore. But uh, uh, the big news for me on this one, Node.js version 16, which is good. Um, e, uh, I'm sorry, uh, ESLint, which is good. <laughs> uh, getting rid of some old technologies in the stack. That's good. And then obviously the Viva bits that they're rolling out. So nice to see this moving along. And I'm sure I'll be kicking the tire soon because I've got a bunch of new devs who need to get working on SPFX. And what a better way to teach them. Say, here, go upgrade this web part. <laughs> yeah, I do remember the node stuff, uh, setting up a new machine and not, you know, having, pulling down the latest node and then realizing that that's not the node you're looking for when it comes to the SPFX. So it is nice that they've done that. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And I remember the chatter was getting louder about the the Node version. And as I think it's just a matter of they, you know, they planned it. It takes a while for it to come through the, all the machinations that happen over there. So, and I, I'm sure they're gun shy from one of the failed releases earlier. So it's good. This one's but some of the stuff's been out for a preview for a while, like the Viva stuff and the Image Helper. So good to see the stuff moving along. So thanks to the SharePoint Framework team for getting us out. Yeah. Great to see. And actually in the blog post too, they talk about the future plans of what the next version of uh, one point will be. And so that was kind of cool just to see kind of what they're targeting there. 
Yeah. Did you notice the one uh, cards being powered by Bot Framework? Yes. Viva Connection Cards, which um, uh, this is Paul reading between the lines. That's probably a universal action type things is, is my hunch because those are powered by the Bot Framework as well. So That's right. Things will all come together. Yeah, there's a lot of convergence and you'll see more of that in yeah the universal actions and actionable messages that show up in Outlook and then loop components will have an element of this stuff as well. And so yeah, we're incubating a lot of that at the moment. Fabian actually on my team is doing that. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited to kind of talk about that a bit more publicly about what those plans are. Um, oh, sign me up. Sounds good. Um, also generally available, the Microsoft Teams JS SDK V2. So this isn't the toolkit, right? This is like the equivalent of our graph SDKs. This is like what you would use to communicate with teams once you've got the toolkit. Yes, the toolkit uses this. This is the link in your Teams tab or your task module. In the head, you put a link to a script tag, which points to this thing. And it adds the Microsoft Teams object to the global namespace. And you use that object to initialize and start SSO and and get context and stuff like that. So I think the big new stuff is really going to be around meetings and something else, messaging extensions. Maybe I I, I didn't do a diff on, on a lot of stuff, but and and my hunch is some of this is what powers the office.com and outlook.com stuff. I think it's similar or maybe not, but yeah, I'm sure an expert will tell us if I'm wrong. <laughs> but it's nice to see it's moving along. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be a lot to do with the fact that you can have teams type app technology inside of other hubs like office.com and Outlook. And so I think that's where the big push has been around this SDK, which is kind of cool. Well, and, and the other noteworthy thing though is is you've probably, if you've pushed something out, either using the Yeoman generator or even in the Teams SDK or toolkit, I'm sorry, you probably have a reference to the old script file in your pages. So you probably need to go back and revisit them and make just as you would, you know, update your NuGet package or your NPM package. In the development I've done, I've never done an NPM on this Teams JS SDK. It's kind of, it's it, it's been referenced from the CDN. So there's a call to action for those who maybe you aren't getting it because you're, you have a link to the old one. So something to look at. We'll have to get Rabia on to talk about this a bit more because it seems like from the, the DevRel team that she's the one that's deep on this with, I know Bob Drummond does a bunch of this stuff too. Yeah, excellent. Um, next blog post we have is application permissions for bookings. And wait, I think you told me bookings went GA, right? Since our last uh, conversation on bookings, yeah. When we spoke to um, the team on that a few episodes ago, it was coming into GA. Um, and I think in the show they even mentioned it would be in June. So this is this uh, blog post is basically just confirming that now it's generally available and that the, the application permissions is available in a beta endpoint as well. So prior, prior to this, there was only the delegated. And so it's kind of good that, you know, again, an, an, another workload is getting to application permissions in the graph as well as having delegated. Yeah, there's still one elephant in the room who's not there yet, but we're hope, hoping they get there soon. I can talk about that elephant because Excellent. We, um, Barry in my team migrated our feature feedback request portal, public portal over to where Microsoft is doing all of the feedback now. Um, and so if you go to ak.ms slash graph feedback, it takes you into the same feedback portal as the rest of Microsoft 365. We were on an interim one in the tech communities for a bit because of the user voice being, uh, we couldn't be there anymore. And Planner, if you go and have a look for application permissions, the status has changed too. We are working on it. And so we're going to have some good news there in 
a matter of bumps based on me talking to the architect over there. Um, it's been a long time on coming Ooh. and it's definitely been the hill internally that I die on and I'm the sponsor within Yina's group for <laughs> that hill. Um, so I'm excited that that's going to be coming soon for sure. I'm happy for everybody else. I've already written all the code to get the delegated <laughs> on behalf of Token to do the delegated permission. So I don't really care so much anymore. But uh, <laughs> when I had to set that up, it was a big thing. But yeah, so it's good to see that that's coming. It's great that uh, that that's coming as well. So awesome stuff coming out of there. And then and then the last one is around the Microsoft Graph, uh, specifically around the Teams APIs and. These APIs have been around for a while now in, uh, well, they were in preview and then we made them generally available, but the the licensing requirements weren't turned on for billing events, uh, but they are going to be turned on on July 5th. And just to clarify a few things, because this blog post did get a little bit of criticism in terms of being confusing, the, the billing events are specifically for uh, for. APIs, which covers a few scenarios. One of those APIs is what we call the export APIs, um, which is the get all messages for chats and channel. And this scenario is, is that essentially internally we call it the fire hose. And we had Yaron on the show a while ago to talk about this, where you can subscribe at the top level, the tenant, and basically hoover up every message that comes on a chat or a channel. Um, for various security compliance scenarios is the most common one there. And you can never explain licensing in 30 seconds, but <laughs> if you're a licensed user, you get a seeded amount of calls to the API. And then if you go over that seeded amount for your tenant collectively for all the users, um, you'll be basically billed um, overage for any calls above and beyond that. And on July 5th, if you're using the API, you'll start getting a bill. There are other various scenarios of licensing that you're on explains in that podcast that we did with them. And then the other big one, which is where the biggest confusion was, is that there is a a tenant wide webhook uh, that you can subscribe to, which basically tells you every single chat message that comes into the tenant, as opposed to the team level webhook you can subscribe to at a team level. The Firehose webhook, as we call it internally for chat message is also one of those billable things. And the idea is, is that that's a near real-time way of being notified via a webhook of any message that happens within your tenant versus having to go subscribe to you know, 20,000 Teams sites underneath and deal with security. And again, specifically for a security compliance scenarios for some of those big, bigger ISV partners out there. And so uh, definitely take that as a read, check whether you're using those things as well. For the longest time in our docs, we've warned that uh, these are billable events and that we will be turning them on and um, yeah, we gave, I guess it's a month and a bit's notice that we'll finally be lighting up the billing on that. And so you'll be seeing that pop up on your, your Azure bill. And for those listening and not in front of a computer, I, I just want to clarify, right? If I am navigating the hierarchy, so to speak, and I do, I, I have a, a, a team and I do team slash chats or, or user slash chats, and I have a list of chats and say, so chat ID X, I want to get the messages and I make the call to say chat slash ID slash messages, that's different than the export API, which is a call that says get all messages, right? So for a scenario where I want to get messages and I'd say order by date and give me the top three or the last message or something, I'm not impacted. Is that, am I reading that correctly? Yeah. yeah, That's correct. Yeah. And it's just a little bit of confusion that we didn't just explicitly say that in that blog post. There are There is a new blog post in draft at the moment where we're getting reviewed and approved. They will explain in more detail our direction around like 
we're not going to monetize the entire graph. And we're going to be very clear on what is and what isn't monetized and some of the other opportunities um, where we're going to be adding premium value. And so when that blog post comes out, we'll get, you know, Yina on to talk about that explicitly in the, in the in our podcast too. Yeah. To me, it's not hard to understand if it's, if it's an API call, that's probably going to tax the service. Like if I had to support Correct. this, I, that would's different than, you yeah. know, one-offs, right? Which, which will scale yeah. much better. So good to see. Yeah. I'm glad there's clarification. And I will just remind folks if there are at the top, there's links and they link out to the actual API page of which one's impacted. And so that'll tend tell you, you there's the URL. You can, am I using that URL in your code? Then you're impacted. If you're not, then you're probably okay. These for now. Right. So, and I remember the is the discuss billing similar to the 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 graph data connect right? So if the app is registered in my tenant, I pay the bill. If the app is registered in a customer tenant, the customer pays the bill, right? That's right. Yeah. So in these scenarios, it, it will be kind of at the customer tenant level with the app registration, basically. And so you just have to bear that in mind when you do these things. And again, when we will go deep on this in the next episode when we talk about that. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, talk about our guest this week. Yeah. So Merrill um, has been in uh, the working on the graph for a while now, and he, he raised attentions within our org because of the little cool stuff he does in hackathons around graph. And so I guess, you know, tune in. This is a good episode for developers, but also for IT admins as well. And so um, enjoy. And if you've got other guests you'd like to get on the show, please reach out to me and Paul on Twitter and we'll definitely corner them and and, uh, publish the podcast as soon as we can. Thanks, buddy. Have a good week. Okay, I'm here with Meryl Fernando today. How are you doing, Meryl? Hey, Jeremy, I'm good. Uh, it's a bit early for me in Melbourne, but uh, <laughs> loving, <laughs> loving uh, joining up and joining the podcast with you. I um, I was not aware that you were still in Melbourne, Australia. For whatever reason, I thought you relocated <laughs> when you joined this team, so I'm very sorry about the early morning start. No, all good. This I'm, I'm sort of a bit of an early bird, so um, this is right uh, like the like my peak of the day for me. So <laughs> your, <laughs> your peak work optimization. Yes. Yeah. When it's all quiet and kids are asleep, I can get stuff done. So um, h- how long have you been at Microsoft for and, and what team are you in at Microsoft? Yep. I joined uh, about two years ago, right when the pandemic hit. Uh, luckily my role yeah. is uh, is uh, entirely like a remote role where I work from home. So as I just started working in March, um, the rest of the world joined me in working remotely. So it's just a good thing for me <laughs> when all the Redmond folks were all on Teams. And uh, I think I got a much better experience working with uh, my team. So I work in the uh, identity CXP uh, team, Get to Production. Um, we are a team of about, I think about 100, 150. We are growing quite a lot, but we are spread out across the world. Um, we work with very large like S- S500 or Fortune 500 companies and uh, we work really closely with uh, these large companies and the admins in those teams um, and sort of introduce really new AD, Azure AD features to them. They give us feedback, early feedback. This is way before it becomes public and we have the public preview. So we have internal private previews uh, with these folks and they give us really good feedback because they manage these large organizations and 
they help refine our product a lot better before we come out and announce things. So there are lots of things where we might do private previews that never end up in the public preview because we get a lot of good feedback that says, look, this is not the way you should be going. But uh, uh, yeah, it really helps uh, us. So it's sort of like a two-way thing. It's a bit different to um, some of the other roles. It's a very unique role and uh, I really love working in this team. Yeah, it's interesting that a lot of the work my team does is we, we call the CPX or if you was the CXP, but it's a similar sister team that we work with on the rest of the, like what we call E&D. So everything under Rajesh on M365, we, we look after those APIs and then Identity 6P look after all the Identity Access APIs on the graph. And so yes. um, it's, it's kind of interesting because we don't, my team and myself don't really get to work with the identity stuff because we kind of push it over to your yeah. team because it's so large <laughs> yes, it is. in scale. And we're just growing right now. Yeah, it's incredible to see how big it's getting. And I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be great to have a team of that size with all these different different areas. But it's been amazing to see the work you've done in the time you've been in the team. Um, you know, there's often times like Daryl and I, Daryl Miller and I have a, a weekly meeting and it's like, have you seen what Merrill's done this week? Like, check this out. <laughs> yeah. um, and it doesn't just benefit the graph from the perspective of identity, it benefits the graph all up, regardless of what APIs you're calling. So it was about time we got you on to talk about this stuff, I guess. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I come from a dev background. Um, I used to be a developer evangelist at Microsoft way back in 2000, 2002, that period. But um, I've always had this dev itch and want to build build stuff. Um, I don't really get to do that in my day job. So the working on all these open source projects and I love hackathons uh, because I can just focus for like a week or two on things and work with different folks in, in various teams. So it's been really good. I've, I've joined like five hackathons, five to six hackathons in the last uh, few. And um, that's awesome. The last one uh, will one we'll be talking about today. I even got to present it to Scott Guthrie, and uh, because I I won the the Azure Hackathon for the <laughs> uh, good for you. Yeah, it's been really good to um, build this, and then to see uh, people like really love that when I tweet the links on on Twitter and other social media, like getting the really good feedback. So it's it's awesome to build something and get the amazing feedback from folks in the community. Yeah, I'm excited to see what you do in the next FHL. We have a fixac learn, <laughs> fixac learn link come up in the middle of July for our org. I don't know if you're the same, but yeah, there's a few people I will watch out to see what they're doing in FHL work to see what they get up to. And you're definitely on my list for sure. Nice. <laughs> there's actually quite a bit to cover because I really wanted to make sure people are aware of what you do. Um, obviously, to scope it, as I mentioned, like you're in the identity org, which is now under Charlie Bell as the CVP or EVP even, sorry. Um, and CVP is Joy Chick. Um, from that perspective, a lot of what you do is graph because all of identity and access APIs are on the graph. But as I say, like a lot of these tools benefit everyone that's using the graph. So it's great for our audience, regardless of whether they're focused on the identity APIs or not. I wanted to kind of start off with you on, from the identity side, you, you have this Azure AD exporter tool. Now, Immediately, I'm like, yeah, I can see that value. But can you walk through that and talk to me a little bit about what that tool is and and how people are actually using it? Absolutely. So the uh, it's for folks who have, I think you've spoken quite, uh, who follow this podcast, know a lot about the M365 DSC uh, exporter, which 
So you can use tools like drift management with tenants and so on. Um, the IGD exporter, we started off uh, like that was another hackathon. The whole idea is um, people do lots of configs and different changes on Azure AD. Uh, it's some of these things, there's no way to get them back if, you know, if someone runs, like this happened at one of like a big customer that we have, uh, someone ran a script that just deleted all the applications and service principles in their tenant. And then they came to us saying, hey, can you restore it? <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't have a way to restore it. Like this was like about two years back. Yeah. There was, nothing to do. So they had to go back and add every single application back. Good for them. They were a large enterprise, so they had a lot of like change management. They could go in and um, manually add all of these things back. Uh, today, we have sort of recycle bins, 30-day recycle bin for apps, for users, groups. Like after that, some of those happened. Yeah, so we've been adding it in Azure AD. You can go into those recycle. There's a new deleted tab, so you can go and restore those things. But there are lots of things like you have conditional access policies, you have named locations, like there's so many Azure AD, like different bits and pieces where it's um, it's quite risky if you do things. We we do have a team that's now working on some stuff and I'm sure when they announce it, it's going to be really exciting uh, what, what they're building on um on this sort of resiliency side of things. As an interim measure, this Azure AD exporter uses, it's completely built on graph. It goes through every single um, Azure AD sort of what you see in the nodes, like users, objects. There's a, a complete list on the um, on the website, uh, on the GitHub repo if you go, where we list everything. So it's just not for Azure AD, it's for Azure AD B2C as well. Mm -hmm. So you run the script and it sort of exports everything to JSON file. So every object is uh, like a JSON file that you can export. And we, what we've done is sort of um, given you some tips how you can run it under Azure DevOps or GitHub Actions, which can then take those and put put the content into a repository. So if you run it sort of daily, you get like a version history of every object changing over time, like maybe a user object, maybe a conditional access policy. Right, um, right. And you sort of get like a version history of your tenant as you go every day. Yeah, that's super useful. Yeah, so it's slightly different to the work that the, the DSC team. team, the Zide State configuration team have done because it's more of a diff at that import-export level. Yes, yeah. So we consciously didn't do an import because we know we are working internally on a backup restore. So we don't want to yeah. flag this as a complete like a backup restore solution. It's more like it's your safety net. You have something uh, because we do have something happening internally that's building out a lot more mature thing. But it's going to come uh, in, in like maybe I think I would say next year or like sometime they're building it out something natively we don't you wouldn't you shouldn't need to do this type this type of thing yourself right like uh, if you delete stuff you should be able to get things back in that's uh, because of that we this is more like it's just an exporter that's why we didn't call it a backup restore thing or uh, we didn't want to like double up on what that the engineering team was building internally. But it gives you sort of something, a stopgap measure for today. Um, and yeah, you can just chuck that into an Azure DevOps job or uh, GitHub Actions and um, just have that export thing. Just have that 
have that run every day. Yeah. The only catch is if you are a large tenant, you know, we work with some orgs that have like 3 million users or like 5, 10 million service principles. Wow. <laughs> That's going to take a longer time. So we have like a, a parameter you can pass, say, just the config. So it'll export just the key config items. Rather than all the objects. Yeah, rather than all the user objects and the service principles because they just, it'll take, like some of the tenants, large tenants, they take 50, 60 hours to run because it has to call graph and hit hit it for all these different objects and you might get throttled and so on. So so one of the things with the identity and access team with the graph, like there's this big push for uh, everything that's in the UI, you can do in the APIs. So essentially API as a product is the way that we talk about it internally and the, kind of the industry is taken on as well, I guess. But identity didn't always have everything on the graph. Can you talk about that journey and some of the tools you've done to help kind of admins, developers to understand like what things are available now and where you should be going for these and how they move if they're in existing stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So this, like when I joined the team, the mandate had just sort of started internally. We we said there was a directive from up that said, it should be a API first model. So every feature team needs to first have the API working and then they can build the UI. Previously, it was always like we built the UI and then we went back and wrote the API, which meant there were things you would see in the UI, but there was like an API would never turn up for various Azure AD features. Right. So yeah, now what happens is every team has to build the API first and even in the product, Azure portal, the different blades that you see, they use the same graph API to build the portal uh, functionality as well. So that's a really good uh, shift, right? We become API first. Yeah, totally. And you, you can then call it from like graph API, like from PowerShell, like what are the endpoints that you need? So that started, but you'll see sort of a, sh- uh, a, a shift because we already had lots of functionality. And uh, to even today, there are parts of Azure AD where there's no API yet because um, we haven't some, like touched some of those. Uh, but every team that's building a new feature, they cannot release that feature until we have API. So sometimes a lot of the Azure AD features are in preview for a while. And the reason is because they are waiting to, you know, firm up the API and get that out. So a team cannot get the tick to say we are GA until that API is there. So that's a really good thing in our org. It puts the API first as a thing. So any new private preview features internally that we build, it's a really good thing now when they when we introduce a new feature, the API is the first thing that's there. So we tell custom like the admins these are the APIs you need to run and they either use Graph Graph Explorer or they use the PowerShell um, modules to sort of turn on or configure those features. And then the UI comes a lot later in the piece. So it gives time to uh, sort of get the API right. So that's been the journey. Yeah, and that's what, what's neat about that is like it's all the legacy APIs that existed are moving over to the graph because of that foundation, right? Exactly, yeah. So we have... 
this whole Azure AD graph and the new Microsoft graph. So it, it was still called graph at that time. So it was a bit confusing <laughs> when it was really not the, the Microsoft graph. We're so good at naming it Microsoft, right? Yes. <laughs> we picked the name, but we were not actually doing graph stuff. So um, <laughs> right now there is a shift happening where we've sort of published a few hints to folks saying um, there was actually a deadline. We said it was initially June that we were going to deprecate That's right. Azure AD graph. But yeah. uh, back in March, we announced sort of a new timeline because we wanted to give customers more time. So we said we will be publishing an update again with harder timelines, um, but we haven't sort of given you given uh, the exact timeline for graph uh, deprecation. Um, I think the latest update I had was sometime in August, we are going to sort of uh, give share uh, like a concrete date. Yeah, yeah but the, the short story is that AD, Azure AD graph is going away which also means everything that relied on Azure AD Graph. Um, and internally, we have something, we have a different name for another API called um, like BEC, which is all like what you see with the MS Online module, like the old MS Online module and the Azure AD Graph. So these two call into like a, a very old um, endpoint. The problem with those endpoints are we are not actively working on them anymore. They don't scale as well as the Microsoft Graph endpoint. So the, even the API endpoints are different. Like it would be graph.windows.net for the old AD Graph endpoints. I do remember that. So yeah. that's still there. And that's what the Azure AD PowerShell modules still use. Um, that's what the AZ modules were also using before. And I think they released a new version a month or two months ago which now you points to which uses the new graph endpoint behind the scenes so they've taken um, that approach of updating but the apis are very different between graph ad graph graph.windows.net and microsoft graph so the parameters are slightly different the results that come back are slightly different so it's not sort of like a drop-in replacement so what's going to happen is customers are going to have to eventually migrate their uh, script across. Uh, we are working on sort of some different options to help customers move from AD Graph to Microsoft Graph. And that's one of the reasons why we still haven't sort of given a really hard date. Uh, we are working on some things to help all these, you know, hundreds and thousands of lines of code that customers have that are calling into Azure AD PowerShell at the moment. So we're working on uh, giving you the tools to help you migrate over. And then we, we will have sort of a hard timeline, but we will give ample time for folks to migrate stuff over before we cut off that module. But if you are writing something today, you should be using graph, something new today. You should be using the graph PowerShell module right. um, and add all, put all the dependencies on graph PowerShell. Yes, we know that lots of, uh, we do have a lot of feedback on the graph examples, the graph documentation for the commandlets and so on. And uh, we have uh, Daryl and Mace. Maisa, yeah. Maisa, yeah. She, the PowerShell uh, PM. So um, we are working on sort of making sure that we have all of that lined up before we sort of come up with a hard date for migration. And, and you have this conversion analyzer tool that you wrote. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Yeah. So there were some internal things we are doing to um, help with the migration. And this came out in the last hackathon um, that I built. So I coming as a uh, like a dev 
from my dev background, I used to be a VB developer back back in the day. <laughs> and there, there used to be all these tools online where you can just take your VB code and you can convert it to C Sharp. And I like, remember I that. Used, I remember using those tools. Exactly. So I used them quite a lot and they were so easy, right? You didn't have to do anything. You just went to a website, copy paste, right. and you got the new thing. Um, so I really wanted to say, okay, I... Uh, know this old command, like new, I, I know them by heart, right? I just a new Azure AD user and the PowerShell command. What's the name of the new command? Like, how do I call that? And what are the doc links? So today it's very hard. You need to go search for Azure AD PowerShell and then uh, I know the command, so I don't know what the new thing is called. I need to go search in the graph PowerShell reference, find that, how do I call the documentation and where is the graph API for that? So it, it was like a, not that easy for someone who, like we are giving the message, right? Write everything in graph PowerShell. How do I take something I have written in Azure AD PowerShell and convert that? Um, so that's where this hackathon idea came from. I wanted to build sort of like a converter like that and uh, have people like just visit a website, paste the code that they have, and it will sort of give the new graph version of that code for both MS Online and like all the IGAD commands that we had. That's really cool. So that's how that this was born uh, from from that idea. Um, so while I had, di- had the idea, I knew Frederick released this uh, really cool project on GitHub as well, which uh, is a PowerShell com- module. So it'll go and analyze your existing scripts and do something very similar. It'll tell you, hey, you're using this Azure AD module, uh, this commandlet, this is the new graph commandlet that you can call. So he had this tool that you can run as a module. Um, so that was really nice to see that uh, it was. It happened while I was building. He he tweeted that uh, the thing at the, at the same thing. So the same uh, it's really good, right? It's helpful for our customers to, um, like if you have lots of scripts, that's a good way to do it. If you have just one-off commandlets and things like that, you can just come to this site and, put that stuff in and do an analyze. We did publish um, a page that has a list of all the Azure AD commandlets and then a table that has the new commandlet. So we have like a mapping thing that's published. Um, so what we are doing is we actually have like three owners of this. We, we actually have a team. We are working together now to make sure that we all um, using the same sort of the backend list of the mappings uh, because Today, we don't even have all of the mappings yet. Oh, I see. But right, it's a lot better compared to how it was like six months ago. Yeah. We are closing that gap. A lot of those have been added to graph uh, API mm-hmm. uh, from those older endpoints. So we are closing that gap, but there are still a few commandlets that you, you don't have. Yeah, that's really neat. We'll be on a similar journey with Exchange, with EWS APIs and the graph as well. So we'll definitely learn a lot from what you've been doing on the identity yes. side in the Exchange uh, exchange space too. I mean, that's kind of interesting, right? Because you know, as you mentioned, the way that the identity is going, if it's the user experience has an API, it's called the graph. You, you know, it's that mapping that means that then you can do whatever you do in the UI and API or in a PowerShell module because we generate the PowerShell modules from the graph um, API definitions. But I noticed as another hackathon project, like you've really knocked this out of the park in terms of hackathon projects, you had this one called Graph X-Ray. Can you tell us a little bit about Graph X-Ray on kind of what that does? Yes, yeah. So my thing is 
I want to get the, the distance between someone wanting to do something and then getting to the PowerShell, the graph PowerShell version of that. I want to reduce that sort of the time they take to do that. And what happens with the Azure AD blades? Uh, I know that internally, lots of the teams are now using the graph API. So if you go into sort of Fiddler, you run Fiddler while you're doing stuff in Azure AD um, and maybe, and even Intune. Intune is a really good example where it, the portal is heavily built using Graph API. So if you use Fiddler, you can see the Graph API calls that are actually being made uh, by the portal as you as you do things. So maybe you go to a user object and edit the user, you hit save. Uh, it's calling the same Graph API that you know the, uh, the new AD, MG user command that calls into. So what happened once was someone asked me, hey, how do I do this using PowerShell? And I, I was like, I know how to do this using the UI. Like I know the, where to go in the blade. I know how to click things. But from there, finding the commandlet is like a, is a big jump. So I need to go search uh, for the thing and search with the word PowerShell. And the names don't somehow line up sometimes because the UI calls it something else. And the API is something slightly different. Um, so it's sort of a big step. It'll take me some, like, you know, maybe about, if you know it already, all good. But if you don't know it, it's going to take you like at least 10, 15, 20 minutes of searching around, finding blog posts, and then finding the links to the uh, commandlet. And then maybe the commandlet is not as well documented. So you need to go to the graph API version of the same thing to find it. And then the next thing is, okay, I know what parameters to pass in the UI. How does that map to the actual commandlet parameter that I need to pass? Like, where, how do these things map? Um, so it's uh, it takes quite a while for someone to, they know how to do it in the UI, but to write the same PowerShell version of that, it can take anywhere between 20 to 30 minutes before you can get to a working PowerShell of something you do in the UI. So that's how this idea was born. Like, I would go into Fiddler, like that's what I used to do, you, Fiddler or the network, tools and then look at what was being called and then I would go to graph API then I would find the PowerShell command uh, but it still took some time so a few of us got together and we thought let's you know we can uh, take the graph API commands that have been called and at least list them out in a in a cleaned up sort of way where we can just show the API commands that are built so that's how the idea started. I worked with um, some of our teams in, in Kenya, uh, like uh, Monica and uh, Eunice. Uh, they're part of the docs team. So we were uh, hashing out ideas for this hackathon. And there was Drew from Bredman as well, who joined us for this uh, recent hackathon. Yeah, Drew is great. I've worked with Monica and Eunice. Yeah, yeah so they were amazing. So Monica linked up linked us up with the DevX team. So th these are the folks who like build the Graph Explorer and, and those APIs. And, and they gave us the idea that, hey, we have this API where if you give the REST API version of uh, a graph thing, we can give you the PowerShell or even any different language. Right. So while our initial idea was just to dump out the graph uh, just the graph APIs. You actually went to the next step and generated the PowerShell. Yeah, it was so easy. Like we had that and then they said, we have a DevX API where you just send us this, we'll give you the language version of it. And Yeah, and that's how they're generating all the PowerShell snippets for the docs too. Exactly, for the docs in Graph Explorer, it's the same thing. And uh, so that was like with almost like zero effort from, from the hackathon team. It just <laughs> took us like 
10 minutes to call that API. And suddenly we could now give you the exact language. Uh, you know, you can pick your language, JavaScript, JSON, whatever. So if you today go to the Graph Explorer, it's an extension that you install in Chrome yeah. and um, Edge. Uh, someone asked for the F uh, Firefox version. So I'm uh, working on that at the moment. <laughs> so uh, you can build it. It's a develop dev tools extension because uh, Google and, and Microsoft, uh, the browser vendors are making it harder to, you know, they're securing the code. So it's a bit harder to just write a random extension that can sniff what people are doing. So it needs to be a, a developer tools uh, sort of extension, which has a little bit more access into things. That makes sense. Uh, you really don't want to install an extension which can read, you know, what, what you're no, doing. it's a little bit terrifying. Uh, calling into, exactly. So it's a good thing they do. I think the old extensions allowed you to do it. Uh, the new extensions, they, they're sort of securing it more. So uh, you install it as a, a dev tools extensions and just like the network tab, you can go into a, this new tab called Graphics Ray that will turn up once you install this. Um, then as you browse the Azure AD portal, uh, it works on the Intune portal. Um, so any portal that's where the browser is calling Graph APIs, uh, what we do is we just take that, we call into that backend API, and we can actually give you the PowerShell or the C Sharp or even Go, the various language options. So pick your language, and you can start seeing how that the action that you did can be converted to the language you want. That's really cool. I really wish that more of our user experiences call the graph so that you could do that across them. I know Intune was the first API first product uh, where everything in Intune is a graph API and it's our largest, still our largest surface area in the graph is Intune. So it's really neat that like you built this probably with the intent of helping identity blades, but the knock-on effect is it works in any of the Intune interfaces as well. And it's super useful because we often get questions of like, you know, how do I do this in the UI, in the API? And now you can just say, well, just install this X-Ray, you know, browser exactly, extension yeah. and <laughs> you can see it for yourself. And hey, whatever language you're using, here's the code snippet. It's very, very clever. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's really good, right? So it more like we gets our teams as well, like to say, like we use the graph graph api we build an api first product it helps everyone it helps yeah, our partners right. uh, it helps our customers so i'm i really i'm really glad the our like the leadership made that call to be api first i think that's super important for like our entire platform to have have that yeah, yeah it's great that intune led the way there and now you guys are on that path and i really hope others jump on this too and a big thank you to you and monica and Eunice and drew for um, putting that together because that's a very, very neat, neat thing. You've got a nice little website there with a YouTube video that highlights that. So, you know, if you're doing something and you're trying to, you know, reverse engineer, I mean, I remember this in the SharePoint days, you would break open the DLLs to see what was in the DLLs to do things in SharePoint. Like, this is the same thing over again. Um, very creative way of doing it. And then you're not done here in terms of FHL projects. I feel like <laughs> it's hard to beat that one, but I did this in order of what I thought was the most exciting. Your permissions explorer, in my opinion, is the most exciting. And the reason for that is that, man, if I had a dollar for every time I get asked this question, and now it's kind of resolved by this site, this is gold. And it's something that, you know, we need to get better at putting into the docs as well. 
What is your graph for Missions Explorer and, and what, how did this come about? Yeah, so this was really interesting. Uh, I had a customer, I worked with a lot of um, like the ID, uh, identity access management teams at like large enterprises. And I work with a lot of their cybersecurity teams. So what they um, kept asking me was, look, this app is asking me for this permission, like user.read.all or device management.read.write, uh, um, some permission scope they want. How do I know what, what I'm consenting to? Like, what can that permission give? Uh, so I went to the docs and our docs are written for developers where we say, okay, you call this API, you need this permission scope. But nowhere in our docs do we have a thing where I have this permission scope. What are the, all the APIs that I can call? So, so I, I got that ask from my customer. Then I saw lots of other I have some, uh, one of my colleagues in Germany, she found her customers also asking for the same thing. And like, what do we do? So we told them, go look in the docs and search for this, that API and find all the things, put them together. That's that's the API that, that's um, the, yeah. list. So that's how it came about. So I was like, we I want to have this different view where I can pick a permission and I should be able to see all of the graph API that I, that's a you know, made available to a user once uh, or a developer once that API is uh, released. So or once that is permission is consented to. Um, so that's how it started. And I was looking at how can I do this? We have lots of efforts that internally at Microsoft that do the same thing. Um, the, the Graph Explorer itself has this capability where there is an API already. So if you you type in the, the API, there's a permissions tab, right? That'll say, for this API, these are the permissions that you need, so. Yeah, these are different permissions you could use to call this API. Correct. Yeah, and they right? do a better job. But that's the, way, that's the different way around, right? Because that's more like the API and then the permissions you could use, whereas you're saying, I have this permission consented, what the hell can it do? And Exactly, yeah. In some of these cases, like group read, write all is terrifying how many things it can do. Exactly. So with the graph permissions, I was struggling how to do this. We The implementation itself, I, what I've done should change, right? So what I've done is I, I wrote a thing where I, which runs nightly in GitHub and it's all running on GitHub Actions. I don't really pay for any of that, <laughs> just the free thing. Uh, it, it downloads the entire... Uh, repository that of our docs, the, the markdown docs for the API. So I go through, scrape all the pages and then put together saying, okay, if it's this permission, then these are the API calls that I exposed. Ah, yeah. So uh, it helped us improve. Uh, like I find people doing various things or they put a typo in the permission. So my script actually gives a list of errors. Uh, <laughs> and I sometimes, uh, like I take that and go and uh, do PRs for the actual docs <laughs> to, <laughs> to fix them up. So... That's how this whole thing comes about. So every night it goes and scrapes it and then creates a, a, like a static site gener that is generated, which says for this permission, these are all the APIs. Um, right now I've listed all the graph APIs. I'm actually going to add the PowerShell commandlets as well to that list so you can know, you know what this is. Yeah. Oh, that's really neat. So I think like... What we want to do is we want to have that in the, like, you shouldn't have to come to, like, my site to do this. We we want to have it in the docs itself. Yeah. Well, mate, I, I'm like, you don't have Google Ads on here. You could be earning the fortune from this page, where I'm <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I'm sure there are, other, there are all these sites that scrape <laughs> off the other sites and then put them <laughs> off. <right? laughs> 
but yeah this this uh, that's how this idea came about uh, but i i just want to call out uh, as a caveat to folks is the docs are not 100% sort of accurate in the sense in the docs sort of trying to say you know these are the permission scopes but in reality there are lots of apis that are exposed um, which we don't even show up in the uh, in the permission scope so what i'm saying is user.read.all you might actually have more permissions, more APIs being available than what's called out in the docs. I'm actually going to call use the, we have the, what we use in the graph explorer, that's using the open API, the that to generate these things. So you'll actually find uh, if you use the device dot, uh, I think the device dot read at all, it gives you access to even user objects, yeah, like calling into the user thing, which, the docs don't sort of show that. So right. that's actually a concern, right? For our security teams who are consenting to these permissions, they really need to have a good view of what am I even applying, uh, allowing for this third-party app to have access into my data. And I know there is work to make sure in our CDSL and open API definition files that we actually document which permissions are for each method so that we can improve Graph Explorer and our docs so that we're automating the generation. But I do agree that this this pivot, this like lens in based on the permission, not the API is super useful on that. We should be generating this all from one single source. And in this case, you're scraping the docs to do it. But if we can get to a the original definition and have everything documented, that'd be super useful. Exactly. That, yeah, that should be the right way to do it. Like this is just a stopgap. No, like, I like though. I build these tools. It's good to sort of highlight, and then lots of other teams are interested because we do have this view lot in lots of internal places, but nothing that's exposed out to like that you customers can use. It's such a journey we're on, and you know, I, I've recently did a presentation of like how we built the graph and what things within, you know, since 2015 when Yina and the team released this, like what, what things with improvement developer experience and service. And this is definitely <coughs> one that has been an extremely complicated problem to go back, fill and solve. You know, we mandate it for any new API, they document all those permissions, but it's been something we haven't been great at on those APIs that have been out there for so long. And there's like, I think 16,000 endpoints now on the graph last time we yeah, did it. Yeah, I, I was listening to the other, the earlier podcast with Daryl Miller, right? That was a really good one. And yes, he's talking about, it's sort of like waves, right? It's every day, every week, new APIs land and all these new products we are, companies we are acquiring, like CloudNox came on board and there, there are those APIs. It's amazing the amount of work that we are building out, especially in the security space. It's like blowing up yeah. uh, under Charlie Bell. Um, so I'm really excited for like all the graph API that, because as I, I'm, I'm a dev at heart and <laughs> <laughs> graph API is out of like the fuel for, for all of this, right? So Yeah, so I think this is great. And it'll, again, once we get it officially in the docs, but for now, just being aware of this so that you can see it and refer to it is really, really great. I think the last thing I wanted to talk about is a new initiative you've started, which again, I think will be super powerful as well, is this notion of um, the, the PowerShell samples. Can you talk a little bit about you know, what this is and, and why you've started this and wh where you're going with it based on the contributions? Yes. Yeah. So 
what happens with the PowerShell samples, we have a team that's building, writing out the docs for the graph PowerShell uh, commandlets. Um, and they write all these different samples, which is uh, which are really good. Uh, but what happens is, what I noticed is as an admin, like lots of our customers, they write their own PowerShell scripts to do things. And those are sort of more real world, like, like use cases of uh, how they put together different things. Most of the time, the commandlets just have the example code or the description for just just that commandlet. They don't sort of put things together and say, look, I want a report of licensing of all the users that are licensed in a particular way, export it to a CSV, you know, uh, call different APIs to do things. Um, so I wanted to get some of these real world examples. I know that a lot of admins write lots of these scripts and what a lot, lot of admins don't realize is the script they've written is very useful for a large number of users, but very few admins go and, you know, blog about them and and even if they blog, it's not in sort of a central repository. So I want to build uh, like a shared community of all these contributions of various samples uh, of Graph PowerShell. Um, and I want it to be a place where people come find things, where people can contribute code that they already have, and to make it really easy to contribute. Yeah. Like I don't want... Uh, uh, like admins and admins don't know a lot about Git and you know doing a PR and all of that stuff. So I just want them to come in, just right. drop the script that they have, uh, and be able to share that with the rest of the world. So you're leveraging like the discussions capabilities of GitHub, so that people just create a new discussion and put the code snippet in there. Exactly, it's a really simple thing. So the the link is ak.ms/graphsamples, um, and I. I think you'll have them in uh, when you publish the podcast. So if you go there, uh, it's basically, uh, we might change where this lives. Like I, I really want to build like a custom site that makes it all of like, you know, we can have voting like Stack Overflow and you can bring up some because you, you might end up with multiple things of the same sort of sample. Similar scenario. Similar yeah. things. But these things change over time, right? We can't say this is the only right way. Like someone might find a different version useful. Uh, but the idea is I want to have this repository that everyone can contribute to and uh, others can comment on it, you know, give tips on improving it and, and build this community around it. Um, what we're also doing is for contributions to this page, we are also giving sort of badges that folks can mm -hmm. then add to their LinkedIn profile, to their resume to say, look, I'm, I'm a contributor to this. Uh, so if you give two, if you contribute two samples and like initially we want to get it rolling. So the bar is really low. Uh, so get in now and start, like I would say, anyone who's listening, start sharing your samples <laughs> because we are going to increase that bar later. Like, you know, you need to contribute five or 10 samples before you <laughs> get the badges. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. Though. Like you can see like even Jeff Tech is someone, you know, Jeff Casimir, and, you know, he's put one in there about, like, get the device object ID associated with Windows Hello World, Hello for Business Authentication Method Registration. Like, that would be something that would probably take ages exactly. digging for the docs to find. Yeah. But having that, you know, get dash MG user authentication window hello, and then, you know, that just makes it super easy to, to just see those kind of cheats. I, I do like the fact that you are just using discussions. I agree, like, some of the GitHub purists would be like, this should be a... <laughs> Markdown <laughs> file and it should be a PR and should be approved. But um, there is something to be said for just, you know, not uh, scrappy is probably offensive in describing this, but just so quick and low friction that it allows IT admins to come in here and do this 
Isn't Absolutely, it? yeah. It's just reducing that friction. And uh, like a lot of IT, IT admins I deal with, when once you start talking about Git and PRs and they just like glaze over. Like, yeah, like glaze right, over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I, they are the folks who are writing these scripts and I really want them to contribute. Like their contributions haven't made it all the way into the community. There are, yeah, totally. Yeah, there that. are quite a good folks who like on Twitter who share things and write blog posts and so on. So it shouldn't we we should have a lot more of like you know random person writing a script and that's sort of helpful um so yeah that's that's where this whole idea came from i i'd love us in our code snippets actually in each of our api pages across the whole of docs.microsoft.com i know you can provide feedback on pages at the bottom which submits a github issue i i'd love it to have some kind of like scenario focused like submit a code snippet type thing there and have it built straight into docs.microsoft.com but I think we're a bit bit far off from that and so these kind of things that you've set up are great initiatives to you know capture that with the IT admin as, as easy as we can so I appreciate you doing this yeah there's one more thing I think we will share the details so we anyone can contribute samples so you can even contribute samples to the graph if you find a graph commandlet that doesn't have a sample or sometimes there is a sample but you know you know I have a better sample or something different that's not called out in the sample yeah. um, we are going to publish a page like people know how to do it for those who don't know how they can contribute uh, their own examples into in, and that will end up in uh, the graph docs itself, right? And it'll, actually in the docs themselves. And millions of users would find it useful. So I, I'll sh give that link once that becomes available. Um, just a plug for myself. If you follow me on Twitter at, um, at Merrill, M-E-R-I-L-L, -L, uh, like I'll, I'll post everything about graph and the new stuff that uh, that's coming up. You must have been on Twitter a long time to get that, Merrill. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this was back in the reason I got it back in the day was Twitter used to send out like free SMS and SMS used to cost where I, where I used to live in Sri Lanka. Um, so we a group of us like, hey, this is a free thing. We just uh, follow each other on Twitter and you post something and it sends an SMS to everyone. So it was our cheap way of broadcasting <laughs> messages to like instead of messaging 10 people in our group, we just post on Twitter. <laughs> like, we didn't even know how to use Twitter at that time when it started back in 2007. That's really yeah. funny. <laughs> it's so funny, like, how, how creative people get with these yes. platforms. Well, look, I, uh, I really appreciate your chat. Thank you for jumping on the show. And I um, know our audience will find all these tidbits useful, um, whether they're an identity, you know, an access IT admin or an Intune admin or even a developer, like some of these tools like X-Ray and the, the Permission Explorer are extremely useful tools for our dev graph developers. So thank you. And I'm excited to see your next hackathon. You've kind of set the bar really high, Meryl. I'm not sure what you can do next. <laughs> I have a few things uh, in that I have in my <laughs> mind. So <laughs> I'll definitely share them as they come, as we build it out for the next few Excellent. Episodes. Well, look, um, <laughs> when you're over in Redmond, please let me know. And it'd be great to catch up with you in person. And uh, we'll get you on the show to awesome. talk about your next hackathon project i guess perfect <laughs> sounds like a plan <laughs> thanks meryl thanks a lot jake thanks for having me thanks for listening to the microsoft 365 developer podcast please follow us on twitter at m365 dev podcast and check out our show notes at www.m365 devpodcast.com to help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 